0: I'm Ben Forad.
1: I'm Polly Gill. And I'm Alyssa Mendel.
0: And this is Cordscast. This podcast is created by the team at the Coordination of Rare Diseases at Sanford, or Cords, for short which is a rare disease registry working to tie together patients and researchers, no matter their condition, and no matter where they are in the world. In these episodes, you'll hear interviews with scientists, physicians, rare disease patients, and advocates, along with updates on our registry and ways that you can get involved. Let's get started.
1: Melissa Mendel, and today I have with me the White Sutton Syndrome Foundation. Uh, Both Dr. Sutton himself and Amanda and Josh Couch with the foundation, they're going to be telling us everything we need to know about White Sutton Syndrome and uh, the patient advocacy group. So to get us started, Josh, would you mind just introducing yourself and telling the audience, you know, your connection to the rare disease community?
2: Absolutely. Um, My name is Josh Couch. Like you said, Uh, my wife and I uh, started the uh, White Sutton Syndrome Foundation a couple of years ago, um, just uh, with the goal of trying to build a community around this uh, rare disease because uh, it's we we noticed in our uh, diagnostic journey that you know, building a community is very difficult when you uh, are you know a member of a rare disease community because it's hard to find other people. So our initial goal was just to try to build a community and then to, to better that community as, uh, as the years went by and as we, we were able to do more and more things. Um, I'm the uh, secretary of the White Sutton Syndrome Foundation. I sit on their board, but I'm also the creative director. So uh, the social media outreach and the website and stuff like that, I do that as well.
1: Awesome, and you mentioned your wife, Amanda, is a part of that advocacy group, and Amanda is joining us today too. Amanda, do you wanna just maybe share a little bit about you?
3: Yes, yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, my name is Amanda Couch, and uh, I came to know the rare disease community after our son was diagnosed in 2015. Uh, he was one of five cases that they knew of at the time, and it just kind of led us um to the direction of figuring out how to serve such a rare population Mm. so that's kind of my connection Um, through a facebook group we got to know a few other parents and decided we were going to launch the foundation
1: wow one of five that is that is really crazy Dr. Sutton, you're joining us too. What is, could you just do a brief introduction and what is your connection to the rare disease community?
4: Hi everybody. Um, I'm uh, Reed Sutton. I'm a medical geneticist uh, and I practice at Baylor College of Medicine and Texas Children's Hospital in Houston. Uh, And as a geneticist, our specialty really is uh, rare diseases. and uh, diagnosis and management of those rare diseases
1: very interesting and i'm i'm gonna just say this right now i notice your last name is sutton and this condition is called white sutton syndrome is there any connection there
4: yes that's not a coincidence (laughs) (laughs) As, as mr and ms couch mentioned uh the it all started a um Uh, Just about five years or so ago now, uh, one of my colleagues um, here at Baylor College of Medicine that I work with, Dr. Uh, James Lupski, has for many years done research on uh, uh, many things, but one of those is a condition called Smith-McGinnis syndrome. Um, And uh, people will send him uh, DNA for research on individuals that they suspect of having Smith-McGinnis syndrome as he is uh, really kind of one of the world's experts in that area. And one of the graduate students in his lab, Jansen White, uh, was looking at um, the DNA of some of those individuals where um, they had been sent in as suspected of having Smith-McGinnis syndrome uh, but did not have the common deletion or a genetic change in the RAI1 gene, either one. And within that group, uh, Janssen identified a couple of individuals that had changes in the POGZ gene. And so he contacted me as a, a clinical geneticist to see if I could help him with uh, uh, this part of his um, PhD project to try to figure out uh, if indeed these changes in POG-Z were responsible uh, for what uh, physicians were seeing in these patients, and also to uh, uh, learn more about that. And so we were able also to collect uh, a number of other cases of individuals that had changes in POG-Z, both from our diagnostic lab here at Baylor College of Medicine, as well as um, other collaborators, uh, and we're the first to describe uh, the intellectual disability, as well as uh, other medical issues that go along with people who have changes in POG-Z uh, that is now known as White Sutton Syndrome.
1: Oh, that's fascinating! I don't get to meet too many scientists that uh, the condition they study is named after them. So that's very cool. Thank you for sharing that, uh, Josh. Could you touch on what are some of the symptoms of White Sutton syndrome?
2: Sure. Um, there is a lot of variety in the symptoms. It seems like um, the the primary thing that is used to diagnose White Sutton syndrome is uh, typically a genetic test. Um, so. There are, you know, there, there are some abnormal symptoms that are initially exhibited, and then, you know, they, they run a usually what's called a whole exome sequencing test. Um, there are some other diagnostic tools as well, but that's the one that seems to be the primary one. And uh, typically, you'll see um, developmental delay, possibly uh, some low muscle tone. Um, there are uh, definitely some cognitive issues as well, um, but there's a large uh, spectrum. It seems that the more, the more people that we uh, are in contact with that have White and Sun, White-Sutton syndrome, you know, that have been diagnosed using genetic uh, testing, uh, the more we see just this really broad spectrum of cases, all the way from just very mildly impaired to uh, profound impairment. Um, so it seems like the, the primary things are, you know, things like uh, developmental delay, low muscle tone. Um, there are a lot of cases uh, that have uh, autism as a comorbidity, I think. Um, but, uh, there's, um, maybe some GI issues, um, and definitely some behavioral issues as well.
1: Dr. Sutton, is there a link between White-Sutton syndrome and autism?
2: That's a great question.
4: Um, uh, although a bit of a complicated one, I must say. <laughs> so, Yeah, so um, autism is really kind of a descriptive diagnosis uh, based upon what uh, a psychologist or psychiatrist or developmental pediatrician sees uh, and behaviors that they observe. Um, And and those typically include um, uh, some impairment or delay in language, uh, limited social skills, as well as often some sorts of um, obsessive compulsive traits or repetitive traits within the uh, autism diagnosis there is a very large spectrum and in fact it typically now is referred to as autism spectrum disorder Um, uh, and so there certainly are individuals with white sutton syndrome that do have some features uh, such as language delay or behavior issues that um, uh, Mr. Couch mentioned earlier, Um, uh, but certainly not everyone has that. So I think it's important to to remember that autism is really a descriptive diagnosis, um, just like uh, say a diagnosis of cough is a descriptive diagnosis, but it doesn't really tell you kind of the underlying cause, whereas White-Sutton syndrome is specific to kind of the underlying cause, which again is the change in the fog gene.
1: Oh, thank you for that um, explanation. That really clears things up for me, Dr. Sutton. Um, Josh, can you tell me a little bit more about the White-Sutton Syndrome Foundation?
2: The White-Sutton Syndrome Foundation primarily right now is uh, focused on community building. Um, We've been uh, very active uh, with our private uh, parents' Facebook group, um, that's the primary way that we connect with a lot of these uh, individuals who are diagnosed with White Sutton Syndrome. Um, we also do a lot of outreach um, to try to bring awareness to White Sutton Syndrome. Uh, right now, that the primary way that we do that is through our, our website, which is uh, whitesutton.org. Um, and we are trying to stay on top of any new research that may be coming out, although the research right now, since it is such a rare disease, is pretty minimal. Um, but uh, we do try to keep, keep on uh, top of that stuff. We also uh, are organizing uh, an annual conference uh, to try to bring together uh, mostly White Sutton Syndrome families and caregivers, um, but also researchers as well as that grows.
1: Mm. Awesome. And so this is kind of a, I like to ask this question to all of the individuals that come on our podcast. What advice do you give to parents and patients who have received a diagnosis of White Sutton?
3: Um, Typically, we have individuals that reach out to us who are just hearing the news and kind of devastated and shocked with what they read about White Sutton. Um, So our encouragement is just get active in our group, uh, get to know the other members. It kind of becomes like a family environment where you can encourage each other. Our advice is just take it one day at a time and to realize that even though this is a rare disease, you're not alone and that we can provide support to each other. And our family has really grown to where we kind of encourage each other and we see posts about their kids and their milestones and we just encourage and celebrate those with each other.
1: I like how you said that you're in this together. That's really awesome. I know before when we were talking, you mentioned, you know, many families of individuals with white Sutton syndrome, they deal with behavioral problems. Can you offer any advice on that?
3: Absolutely. We do see quite a few individuals with behavioral uh, issues with white Sutton syndrome, and I happen to work in the ABA field, And so that has really been able to provide some support uh, by giving ideas to the families like um, reinforcement, token systems, just finding ways to adapt the environment to encourage the positive behavior that we're looking for.
1: What is the typical age of diagnosis for individuals?
4: Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. And, and it certainly is a very wide range. And, cert- and part of the reason for that, for sure, is that um, this is a relatively recently identified uh, mm. gene and uh, gene condition association. So um, there may be individuals who um, are adults that maybe have had various genetic tests uh, over their lifetime but really uh, had not had a diagnosis. And again, after the publication uh, linking um, the change in Pugsy to White-Sutton syndrome, uh, many individuals uh, began to be identified. And so again, some of those were adults, uh, uh, but now uh, many of them are uh, young children and infants. And so it really is an age range, but mostly dependent on uh, as Mr. Couch mentioned, the availability of this exome sequencing as well as knowing that changes in uh, the PugZ gene caused White-Sutton syndrome.
2: One thing that we have noticed is that uh, it's not necessarily just the, uh, you know, the availability of the testing. It's also the uh, engagement of the family members because most of the uh, um, White Sutton syndrome individuals have, uh, you know, the significant amount of uh, cognitive impairment. So, you know, they have advocates that are working on their behalf in a lot of situations. And the engagement of those advocates kind kind of tends to skew um, our population that we're aware of uh, towards younger kids and uh, even infants like Dr. Sutton mentioned. Just because a lot of parents, you know, they're seeing these problems, their kids are still in their lives. Um, They're very active in their kids' lives, and so they're seeking answers. Um, We have noticed, you know, as White Sutton Syndrome has become a bit more, um, uh, people have become a bit more aware of White Sutton Syndrome that we are noticing more and more adults that do have it. Um, But uh, our community right now, it consists of a lot of parents with children with White Sutton Syndrome. That doesn't necessarily reflect, you Mm -hmm. know, the population as a whole. Because like Dr. Sutton said, you know, it, it, it may be that, uh, you know, there have been adults that have had tests in the past that haven't been tested again since uh, White Sutton syndrome was identified. Sure. And also we've noticed a huge uh, advance in the capabilities of genetic testing in the last five or six years that have made uh, these diagnoses a lot easier um, and uh, also a lot cheaper too. There's a lot more availability of DNA testing than there used to be uh, even, even five or six years ago.
1: Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So Josh, to date, do we have any idea of how many people are out there in the world that have this or any statistics on that?
2: Um, We don't have any real firm numbers uh, that are super current. Uh, One of our our goals uh, with our patient registry that we launched with Courts is to be able to nail down a better number um, because there isn't a place that they, they gather all of these diagnostics, uh, all, all of these tests, results, and uh, you know give us a number. Um, so one of our goals as a foundation is to be able to provide that to uh, the community and to the world that you know we know this, how many, this is how many cases are uh, diagnosed. Um, a tentative number, I guess, would be somewhere between 50 and 100 cases. Mm-hmm. I suspect that there are probably more than that. Uh, Dr. Sutton might be able to speak uh, more specifically to that.
4: Yeah, certainly Mr. Couch is absolutely correct that we don't really have a, a, a great number. Uh, one of the things that uh, another one of our uh, former trainees uh, did look at as well, and um, we published this recently, was in looking at our diagnostic laboratory database, where, as Mr. Couch mentioned, um, uh, we do exome sequencing, which is testing kind of all 20,000 or so genes. Um, and, um, Dr. Uh, Narit Asiyavatsir, again, worked with me, and we looked into our diagnostic lab database for exome sequencing. um, And of those who had had exome sequencing for an indication of uh, intellectual disability or developmental delay, we found that uh, somewhere around one to 2% of individuals had a change in uh, the POGZ gene uh, that uh, uh, would be consistent with White-Sutton syndrome. So I think we think it's certainly pretty rare as Mr. Couch was saying, and again, probably of uh, individuals with intellectual disability or developmental delay is a pretty small fraction, uh, of one to two percent or so.
1: Yeah, that does sound like there, that is a pretty rare condition to have it sounds like. Josh, you touched on the CORDS registry and the benefit, you know, how one of the benefits is to try to get people to enroll in the registry so you guys can have a better idea of how many cases are out there. Dr. Sutton, in in your opinion, you know, how beneficial are patient registries to researchers such as yourself um, for the disease like White Sutton syndrome?
4: Registries are incredibly helpful, and uh, you know one of the challenges is, you know, this, like many other genetic conditions, uh, doesn't necessarily uh, affect a particular population in one particular location. And so, uh, as Mr. Couch has, has mentioned, you know, there are individuals with White-Sutton syndrome um, that are kind of sp- spread out all over the world in a relatively equal distribution, and so Um, as opposed to like a common disease, let's say like high blood pressure or diabetes, where, you know, a a physician may have hundreds of patients in his or her practice with those conditions for rare diseases like White Sutton syndrome. It may be that uh, there's only uh, one or two individuals uh, uh, in an entire city with White Sutton syndrome. And so, so registries that, pull in patients from all over the region or country or world are really uh, critical uh, for rare diseases in moving uh, knowledge, patient care, and research forward.
1: Yeah, that's a great explanation there. That's, I agree with all of that. You know, Josh, what is the most important thing people can do to support the mission of, White Satin, of the White-Sutton Syndrome Foundation?
2: Well, our mission is uh, pretty broad. Uh, We definitely want to uh, grow the community, but we also want to expand the knowledge base like Dr. Sutton referenced. And uh, we also want to provide assistance to the White Sutton Syndrome Foundation, or the White Sutton -Sutton Syndrome community, excuse me. Um, The one thing that anybody that is newly diagnosed or looking to get involved in the White Sutton Syndrome Foundation can do is be part of it. Um, Mm. If we don't have a particular participation in that community, then you know we can't move any of this forward. Um, And one of the easiest ways to get involved in the community, uh, aside from joining like our Facebook group and stuff like that, is to be part of the registry. Um, We we don't we we don't document, you know, people that are in our parents group on Facebook as official, you know, members of the White Sutton syndrome community because we don't necessarily know that they have you know somebody in their family with White Sutton syndrome. But if we have participation in the registry, then not only does it allow us to create that count, but it also enables researchers like Dr. Sutton and anybody else who may be looking to do, you know, some sort of research to access official, you know, patients with this condition. Um, And the neat thing about uh, the the rare disease registry is that, you know, the, the, the cords is doing is that we are able to reach a larger audience right now, mm-hmm. you know, outside of our, our patient registry, we're not able to talk to people who may have white Sutton syndrome and not be aware. You know, we, we have people in our community who have had the whole exome sequencing or some other sort of test and have been diagnosed with white Sutton syndrome. That's the people that are part of our community. Now, the neat thing about the cord registry is that it is an agglomeration of a lot of different rare diseases. And there are m- very often it seems like there are a lot of, there's a lot of overlap. Right. So say somebody with, say somebody with autism comes in and they know that their, their, their child or their uh, loved one has been diagnosed with autism, you know, going through the patient registry helps to identify people who may be eligible to participate in our registry as well. And, you know, that, that is one of those things that, you know, allows us to talk to a broader audience. And that's, that's, so important with the, with the rare disease community because our audience is so small.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Where would one go to enroll in the registry for White Sutton Syndrome?
2: Well, uh, the registry takes place on the CORDS platform, so they would go to the CORDS registry for that. We actually point to it and we give some uh, advice and tips and um, give, give some context for the White Sutton Syndrome registry directly on our website at whitesutton.org.
1: Okay. Okay. Thank you. And you know, just to wrap things up here, any last comments or remarks from any of you that you feel the community needs to know?
3: Um, I think this is a journey. And just like any journey that we're on, it takes small steps and staying focused on this journey. Uh, We are not alone. We are in this together. And just building that community is so important to this foundation.
4: I would agree, and I think uh, to, to add and kind of put together what Mr. and Ms. Couch have, have said, um, I, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I've worked with quite a number of rare diseases over my career and still continue to be involved with a number of them. And, and in order to really kind of advance patient care and develop new therapies, this is really how it has to start out. I know when uh, parents uh, have a child or there's a family member diagnosed with a particular genetic condition that uh, individuals are eager to find a therapy. And certainly I think that's the goal for all diseases, including rare diseases, but it really is a a very slow and incremental process that does start by, uh, as Mr. Couch said, building community Uh, And Mr. and Ms. Couch said, really participating uh, in things like registries um, in order to get that critical mass of individuals and critical mass of knowledge and understanding of the uh, underlying cause of a condition uh, in order to improve patient care and even potentially uh,
2: develop therapies many years down the road. And as Dr. Sutton said, too, you know, that critical mass is really important because, um while white sutton syndrome is a rare disease at this point um you know he, he mentioned you know in in the database that they had looked at that it's maybe one to two percent of people with uh, some sort of cognitive impairment now that's you know that's that's an estimate but you know the reality is there's a lot of people out there with white sutton syndrome who don't know it or mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of uh, loved ones who or people who have loved ones with white sutton syndrome and do not know it that's going to change over the next couple of years and one of the the neatest things about the patient registry is, you know, eventually we should be able to develop a population that is large enough that it's attractive to researchers that, you know, they suddenly realize, okay, we have enough people, you know, that are members of the White-Sutton syndrome population that it's worth doing some additional research, possibly at developing additional treatments uh, and, and stuff like that. So, you know, the participation in the rare disease registry, it may not show, uh, may not produce fruit right now. But as part of that process, that you know, that, that, that long uh, process that Dr. Sutton mentioned, you know, that will pay off dividends in the future.
1: So, Josh, I know you mentioned that you had a conference in July coming up. And I think when you and I spoke a couple months ago, that was going to be in Houston. Are you considering canceling due to the COVID-19 situation that America is in? Or what is the status of that event?
2: Well, right now, we are definitely looking at all of our options. Um, it's such an important event. It's our inaugural event. It's not We've not done a conference before. We have a lot of registrants that are already um, registered. So we are looking at our options. Um, obviously, our, most, or our biggest concern is to make sure that uh, the population that we serve is safe. So um, right now, uh, things are starting to look like they are getting better in the world or in the, in the United States, and um, so we have not canceled the conference as of yet because it's scheduled for July 24th, and that's still a ways out, um, and we want really want to be able to provide this opportunity to White-Sutton syndrome families, uh, if at all possible, um, but we definitely are keeping our eye on everything. Um, Houston seems to be doing okay, um, but uh, they still have a large outbreak there, so um, we are definitely considering... Uh, either canceling or postponing the conference, but at this point it's still on.
1: Okay, and where would people know if it was canceled? Do you send out a communication to them or?
2: Absolutely. For any registrants that uh, we already have for the conference, we'll definitely keep in contact through email. Um, For anybody that's wanting to see the current status on the conference they can go straight to our website at whitesutton.org. Uh, there's a conference tab at the top, and we will definitely update our website uh, the very minute that we have any updates.
0: Thanks so much for listening. The theme music for Chordscast is borrowed with permission from Scott Holmes's song, So Happy. To learn more about Sanford Research and our registry chords, visit us at sanfordresearch.org slash cords. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions, comments, stories, or feedback to cords at sanfordhealth.org. Find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter, at Sanford The content of cord's cast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. We'll see you next time on Chords Cast.